Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show. Your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're going to be performing some serious diagnostic care on teams who have ended up in the Bundesliga emergency rooms, as well as a couple of teams who have just recently fallen down from a great height. Uh, with me from Berlin, where he's assured me he's wearing a white coat, he's, he's holding a stethoscope, he looks very professional, it's uh, Kit Holton. Hello, Matthew. Nice. nice. I, I don't have the camera on for our, our conversation, so I, 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 I can't imagine that you, you've been pulling the wool over my eyes in any way about this uh, outfit thing, right? No, no. It's uh, Yeah, I got the full, full Dr. Shebang thing going on. I nice. got one of these like, green surgeon's hats oh and everything. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Not even familiar with those, uh, unless you, you've, got the, the, you, you've, you've scrubbed in. Uh, I just thought this was more of a sort of clinical uh, office situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, mi- I'm mixing it up. I, I had to kind of you know, pull something together from the back of my fancy dress wardrobe. Hey. And, you, know, you, just, you know, drop your standards a bit, Mr. It's all good. It is, it is Carnival's side. And if you were in a different part of Germany, uh, you might actually be in, in full scrubs and, and very drunk as well. So, you know, <laughs> look on the bright side. Happily, I'm in the right fight of Germany at the moment, so yeah, <laughs> no counter for me. Excellent. Uh, all right, this week we're, we're going to be looking at both ends of the table, as we like to do. We'll be taking a, a small peek at European action to come, as well as uh, Match Day 23's uh, thrilling finale of uh, Frankfurt versus FC Union Berlin. And uh, we're going to be answering your questions on, on things like what's eating Werder Bremen, on, on Leipzig and Gladbach's chances of winning the league, as well as on whether I would have had the stomach to watch all 90 minutes of Hertha getting absolutely demolished at the Olympiastadion. So do stick around. Okay, here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day that's just gone. This is um, this was match day 23 in the Bundesliga, so just 11 matches left. And, and just for, you know, the sake of it, we're going to kind of flip the script and talk about uh, not only the best of match day 23, but also the, the, the perspective of the teams who really had uh, the worst of times uh, in, in, you know, the, the second half of the Dickensian phrase. And I really feel like there are two teams who are feeling more gutted than any other uh, after this past weekend. Both of them were on the wrong end of 5-0 home losses. Uh, of course, I'm speaking about Schalke 04 and uh, Hertha BSC. Because I, I, I want to seem utterly impartial here, of course, um, I'm going to save the Hertha part for uh, after we talk about Schalke. So let's talk about Schalke and their 5-0 loss to uh, RB Leipzig. This is a really, really rough night for them. They went down in the absolute first minute of this game. A, a moonshot from Marcel Zabitzer from, from about 25 meters out put them 1-0 down. And actually, it looked like maybe the night wasn't going to be a complete shambles until just after the hour mark when Timo Werner uh, you know, scored a second goal. The floodgates opened at that point. Three other Leipzig players would score before the final whistle. And uh, I would consider this emphatic revenge for Leipzig uh, for their only home loss this season, which was uh, to Schalke uh, back in, in the Hinrunde. Kit, how much does this, does this, how much does this like performance both on the good side for Leipzig and on the bad side for Schalke sort of put into 
focus where these two teams are at. I mean, Leipzig, and we have a listener question from uh, Juan Narvaez who, who asks, are they ready for the title? And that's always something that people can talk about with, with teams who are sort of experiencing their first legit title push. Uh, they certainly have the form. Um, do you think after, you know, holding their nerve against Bayern, uh, their fourth straight game across competition with a clean sheet, this, this, uh, this Leipzig team is for real, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, there's a sort of slight, tiny wobble every couple of games there after the winter break. And they had a good result coming back, but then they were before the Bayern game, just a couple of, you know, less good performances. But yeah, they seem to, both against against Spurs in the Champions League last week and, and against Schalke, they're back to that kind of uh, amazing... Uh, unstoppable best that they when they get into that gear they're just they're just a really really impressive and an enjoyable team to watch under under Nagelsmann this season um and I think the the question of whether they are title ready is is one that as ever will is be answered when it comes to late March April and, and early May rather than right now um because that's when you know push will come to shove and, and, and that, those kind of mental sides of it, the, the experience and all the rest of it will come into it a little bit more. And that's a question not just for the players and the team, but for Nagelsmann himself. Um, and we saw in the, in the Champions League last year with Hoffenheim that both he and his team had, had limited experience at that top level and, and they, in a way they suffered against sort of more savvy, canny teams who, qualitatively speaking, weren't, weren't better than them. Um, despite very brave performances. And, and I think if you look at Leipzig this year in the Champions League, it seems that Nagelsmann is, is, is beginning to learn and learn how to, to operate on that level. Whether that kind of curve is parallel in the Bundesliga and, and this season is early enough for, for him to kind of to properly challenge for the title, particularly against a Bayern team that is firing, we'll see. But certainly they're in, in fantastic form. And I think that's something that you know, we should take into account when looking at that result and uh, when assessing it from a Schalke perspective as well. But, you know, this really is the one of the informed teams in Europe, uh, let alone Germany at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree that, um, you know, I don't sort of doubt their credentials to do anything at this point. I mean, this is a team who has shown such attacking power and such, you know, at least lately, such sort of, you know, solidity at the back and, and sort of, you know, ability to to take whatever teams throw at them. That I I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were the ones uh, when the dust settles uh, who walk away with this league title. But there's so much left to play, as you say. And truthfully, at least this week uh, against a Schalke team in the kind of uh, attacking form that they have been in. This was not the biggest test. I mean, I, I was looking back through Schalke's results since the winter break, and it's a pretty strange. Uh, set of results in that they came out of the gate with a really nice looking 2-0 win over Gladbach you know a Gladbach team who I, I believe you know were were with still within touching distance of the top at that point they you know their 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 title push was looking a little bit better at that point but since then they have scored one goal one goal and that was against Paderborn um this Schalke team for whatever reason has just been utterly firing blanks over the last few weeks and 
I don't see it really turning around uh, anytime soon with the personnel that they have, with the style of, of, of game that they have, which is really, really big on the press, but not exactly big on the on the quick build up, get it to, to people uh, in attacking positions as quickly as possible, which is, you know, teams who counter press effectively and know how to get that get the ball into dangerous spots early are the ones who really impress with that style of play. But they haven't really put those two things together. Have they lately? No, and I think I mean there have been injury problems as well. And Stuart said I've been out and things like that. But there's, yeah, it, 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 there's certainly sort of deep problems with with the team at the moment, the form at the moment. And that's always a problem with when it's Schalke because we know that emotions at that club and and pressure at that club can build up very quickly. And if you take an issue like the big one at the weekend, which was Alex Nubel's performance, and that in the context of, of his impending move to Bayern and the way the fans were, were reacting badly to the mistakes he made in that game, which which ultimately accelerated Leipzig's kind of charge and and facilitated that that heavy defeat. Um, that's the sort of issue and the sort of kind of spark that could could really create a toxic atmosphere at, at a club like Schalke. Um, and I think it will be a, a test for David Wagner. A, above everything else about the injuries and the, and the technical issues uh, to see how well he can manage a situation of, of that kind of creeping toxicity that, that always comes in and every manager in Schalke sooner or later and, and has to be managed. Um, and so far he's done very well at, at being a kind of very positive and, and sobering, uh, having that effect, a positive and sobering effect on the, on the team and on the club. But, and he's, there have been other scandals like the Clemens Tonius one that he's, he's dealt with very well and he's been a kind of an unusually uh, yeah, sobering kind of force. But yeah, if the results aren't going the, way, the right way either, uh, which they were at the start of the season, then it'll be a big challenge for him to, to keep the lid on sort of the emotions and the, the, the troubles that always surface. Yeah, how much pressure do you think... Um David Wagner is under uh, for the performances of the team for the remainder of the season. I mean, considering where they are in the table, which is still, you know, they're still in sixth. Um, that's not, that's a totally respectable place to be, especially in light of where they were last season. But, you know, let's imagine that this team who has been up in the European places, even the Champions League places at various parts of the season, goes on a bit of a skid and ends up finishing 12th. Is there any sense that maybe that's just not good enough for Schalke? And I don't want to look at this totally from from the sort of will he, won't he get fired or that kind of perspective. But like, how will the season look if that's the way things end? No, I mean, I think I think it will look bad, particularly after the start. I mean, the, the good start is a double-edged sword, right? On the one hand, it buys him a bit of time and it buys him a bit of breathing space in a period like this where there are a few problems and the results aren't going their way. But on the other hand, it did raise expectations and, and certainly if you look at the way clubs like Gladbach and clubs like Liverpool's and the uh, developing Schalke are long-term and mid-term under pressure to to keep the pace with those guys at least even if they can't keep the pace with Dortmund, Bayern, Leipzig um, and so I think yeah a real slip could be dangerous and if you look at the next few weeks I mean away to Cologne the Cologne's current form is not not an easy trip. Then you got home to Bayern and home to Dortmund, uh, away to Dortmund in March. Those are big, tough games that, uh, you know, you can see them picking up only a few points in the next sort of four or five weeks. And, and by that point, the pressure will be much, much higher going into, into April where, you know, the kind of table will be taking a lot more shape. So 
you know, a derby win obviously is always a big thing. So it may be something that, that releases the pressure um, for Wagner and it's a, an opportunity for him. That's happened a few times over the last few years with Schalke. Coaches have, have, you know, been under pressure and used the derby to, to really get themselves out of a tight spot. But you look at this situation, I agree with you, you, you can't see it sort of becoming much easier in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It there has there's been a real gap open up between fifth and sixth uh, as Leverkusen have have come into form here in the in the Rückrunde. They now have uh, a seven point um, lead over Schalke in in sixth place, and really Schalke are only looking over their shoulder at this point. I mean, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Freiburg are all within striking distance of them. Um, Frankfurt, should they get a result uh, on on Monday night, uh, would also maybe um, have the chance of catching up to Schalke. So this, I feel like it's a pretty volatile uh, situation right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, any further thoughts about... Um the the troubles at Schalke or the uh, the, the the credentials of Leipzig. I, I was particularly impressed with Leipzig's performance um, uh, this this past midweek um, against Tottenham Hotspur. I, I I was really a little bit disappointed that they weren't able to get um, a couple of more goals in order to make the the next leg a, a little easier on themselves. But I I thought that they were just you know better for ninety minutes, which you know. Granted, I wasn't super surprised, but I was glad to see it happen. It sounds a little bit like you're trying to delay talking about uh, the other 5-0 in the, in the this week, Matthew. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the Champions Maybe, League. maybe. Um, it was, yeah, it was, I agree. It was a, a very fine performance and uh, not just an attack, uh, actually. I mean, you're right that they could have scored a few more and that would put them in a, a better position. But also, I think in defence, Peter Gulashi had a, a fantastic game in goal um, and... You know, as much as this Tottenham side are not not the best Tottenham side we've seen in the last few years, they are still pretty threatening going forward. And and I think Leipzig held their nerve really really well. So I think on both sides, uh, we were talking about earlier about that mentality issue and, and experience and savviness in the Champions League, and just channeling their their kind of free flowing football. It was a very very promising performance for the coming coming rounds. Yep. For sure, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some European uh, circumstances to come. But you have already, you've, you've shamed me uh, into, into opening the topic of, of Hertha, BSA, and their completely ignominious blackout uh, on Saturday against Cologne. A 5-0 loss at home. They were, you know, it's, it's funny. This, this game had a certain, you know, uh, relationship to that other 5-0 uh, game. It was also an early goal, which uh, sort of put the home side on the back foot. But Hertha didn't even hold their nerve as long as Schalke did. They were down by a goal after four minutes. They were down 3-0 at the half, and they scarcely ever looked like scoring. I mean, like Schalke, uh, Hertha had no shots on goal in the first half of this game. Just a galling performance in Alexander Nuri's home debut as as uh, you know head coach. Two goals from John Cordoba, then two goals from Florian Kainz, and finally an absolute insult to injury special from Mark Oot. I was so angry. I was so angry watching this game. You know, and, and this has been very much the tenor of conversation on on social media uh, about Hertha and. The, the, the days following this game is that, you know, with all of the topsy-turviness that has gone on this season, um, there has been, at various points in time, 
moments of hope, moments where, oh, what we're buying these expensive, uh, rather good players. Oh, we finally have some money to do things like that. We might, um, you know, be looking at some ambition in the way that we want to play. And literally almost every single one of those hopeful narratives just came crashing down to nothing in a game like this. I mean, we had nothing going forward. We had a bunch of players who gave the ball away chronically. We had defenders who, you know, had absolutely no idea of of where the people they were supposed to be marking were. We had, you know, problems with effort at both ends, you know, basically getting outrun for balls, you know, both balls that you should have gotten to and, you know, to be able to get a shot off or, you know, continue build up play as well as as balls that were coming in uh, at the back for us where, you know, the Cologne player just out hustled for it. It was, it was horrifying. Ah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. And I'm particularly after last weekend where, you know, in the wake of all that uh, madness over Klinsman, they were under real pressure to get a result in Paderborn, which wasn't the easiest fixture they could have, could have got in terms of pressure as well. And, and they got, got that result. Uh, albeit by hook and by crook, but they got it. And then to come back and and for the second home game in a row, just to put in a, a, a truly, truly dreadful performance is is pretty concerning. Um, and does I think expose just how harmful this whole Klinsman saga might might have been and and be uh, in in that club and and in that dressing room. Um, there's, there's a and I think was it Mateus Cunha was was one of the kind of high profile signings who who arrived uh, in the winter, and I think he he landed in Berlin the day after Klinsmann. Uh, yeah, he was in know, the air in route from South America as Klinsmann yeah. decided to just you know piss off. And there was there were, you know there's a sort of gif going around on social media of you know the guy coming into the room with a smile and seeing it all trashed and burning and everything whatever reference that is uh and it was yeah it hit the nail on the head i mean you know you got, you got to feel for these guys piontek and, and cunha and, and all the rest of them who arrived at this you know club where the atmosphere when presumably when they were discussing their moves and it seemed great and seemed really positive and then when they arrive it's it's this kind of toxic mess of, of bitterness and and aimlessness um and I think as much as I, 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 I'm not an advocate of, of constantly hiring and firing coaches, I wonder how long Mr. Nuri is, is going to be in a job and, and can be in a job after a performance like that. Because, you know, Cologne themselves are, are proof enough that if you get the right man in, a quick turnaround can happen uh, in the Bundesliga and you can start choosing up the table and playing much better if you've got the the environment and the basics to do it um even if your form and, and and the atmosphere around the club was poor before that and if Hertha can find the right man then it may be sensible to to bring him in instead of Nori at this stage yeah uh, i mean clearly amen to that i mean alexander nori is he's he's exactly who we thought he was he's uh, a guy who looks a little bit out of his depth who you know is wedded to a style of football and a, and a tactical, you know, uh, idea about football, which is not very progressive or interesting or even effective uh, beyond a, a very early stage, you know, you know, compact height uh, obsession. Um, 
And he doesn't really have enough in his bag of tricks to do much with, with a team who's in trouble, especially a team who, considering the players that they've bought, um, really needs to be going after more and really needs to be um, trying to impose their will on a game. And under a, 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 a smarter, better coach probably could be doing that. And to me right now, I feel like Michel Preitz, who obviously has, has won the big power struggle between himself and, and Jurgen Klinsmann, I mean, Klinsmann basically took his ball and, and, and went home because, you know, it looked like he wasn't going to be able to call the shots and Michel Preitz was still in charge of things. Um, I think it's crazy that he has not been able to locate um, an alternative for Alexander Nuri. I, I, at this point, I would be jubilant to see Bruno Labadia in at this club, which is somebody who was never really very uh, high up my list uh, in, in recent months. But it's just, it's, it's being asleep at the wheel. And it sounds to me like, you know, Preitz just doesn't have an alternative right now. Or maybe he feels like he's uh, embarrassed at how the season has gone, that, you know, we've now gone through three coaches and it's all gone to hell and and you know bringing in a fourth coach is an admission of you know malpractice but so what everyone knows <laughs> everyone knows you screwed this up Pretz. <laughs> you know find somebody and find somebody fast i think, I think yeah i think Pretz is is possibly a big part of the problem as well i mean the guy has proved over the last few years that that he can be a very good sporting director on in certain areas he's, he's pretty good at picking up a good bargain in the transfer window and, and building a squad with you know limited financial options and, and keeping how to a very stable mid-table club on the coach issue he's never been with the exception of, of Paul Dardai who with whom he had a, obviously a very good working relationship um, and that relationship provided the stability uh, for the few years in which Preetz has, has, has enjoyed most success at Hertha um, other than that, his relationships with with coaches have never been, let's say, the kind of relationship where you say this is this is the ideal, this is the one you you hold up as you know sporting directors and and coaches getting on like a house on fire and and everything being amicable. And so while I think you know Klinsman's whole absurd uh, complaints about about not being fully in charge of everything is is not kind of acceptable because clearly he knew he was going to have to work with a sporting director and that's that's part of the course I, i'm not sure pete's is is necessarily the easiest person to work person to work with and particularly for coaches with with slightly bigger egos and uh, you know who are perhaps i mean people like labadia themselves um who perhaps have a little bit more recognizability in the media and, and would want to be more front and center um He's perhaps not necessarily um, someone they look at and think, yeah, okay, that's going to be, you know, an easy person to work with and an easy club to work to work at. And you know, it's the this classic issue of Hatter have had for for years and years, where they aim too high and end up really embarrassing themselves and, and falling on their backsides. And and on this occasion, Pritz was not the the worst culprit. Uh, in that regard, because Klinsman was was much more embarrassing in the the pride that came before the fall, but Pritz he he really fits that bill. I mean, he likes to to 
to talk things up and talk himself up and talk the project up uh, to a point where you wonder whether it's very sensible or, or whether there's any kind of, you know, real strategic drive behind it or whether it's just kind of hot air. Um, and so while he, he certainly has his virtues, I think he is kind of part or at least a symptom of the problems that had to have midterm as well. And I think it'll be interesting to see both in the coach question. And I think, you know, even if he's won this power battle uh, to see midterm, long-term, whether Lars Vintorst decides he is the man for him or whether he goes for a kind of full-scale overhaul. I, I think he needs to do a full-scale overhaul. I think there is too much dead wood uh, at, at this club. I mean, Michel Preitz, you mentioned earlier that he, he is pretty good on the transfer market, and I, I would totally agree with that. He's, he's you know, made a lot of good buys, both and he's made a lot of good sells, to be to be frank, at least in terms of, of price that he's gotten for players. But, um, you know, to speak in, in like, you know, German uh, football management terms, the dude is a Kada planner. You know, he's he's a he's a roster planner. Like he knows how to sort of build a team from the sort of financial and to a somewhat lesser extent, you know, um, squad maintenance uh, aspect about the, the kinds of players you have a good mix of. But he is a terrible um, person in all sort of public facing duties. He's got this bizarre kind of, you know, cold fish, dead fish uh, <laughs> aura about him. Like he's the kind of person if you, I, I feel like if I ever would shake uh, Michel Preitz's hand, it would be like, you know, 10 degrees colder than like a human hand should be. And, he can't pick coaches. I mean, this is one of the most important duties of a sporting director, and he's messed it up almost every time. So if I was Lars Windhorst, hell, if I was Werner Gegenbauer, who has basically been the official chairman for most of Preetz's uh, tenure, I would be shopping for, for basically a new person to put in charge. Um, it could be tricky finding anybody who has um, sort of real... Um, has a real resume or, or real um, ambition because this is a club that has been trouble for such a long time. But, you know, money can do a lot of things. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, are excited to work with uh, a financial investor who promises them that they are going to open the purse string. So I, I still have a little bit of hope. I just hope that we survive this season and we can get to that point of, of trying to attract new people to this club who will actually do something good with it as opposed to screw things up. Oh, and, and by the way, the, the listener question from the uh, DMTF podcast that stands for don't mention the football really a, a appropriate name for a Hertha podcast. That is the, the, the English language Hertha podcast of record among uh, all the podcasts about that team, which are mostly in German. Uh, and, and a question seconded by uh, Joseph Vasquez in the Bronx, New York. Uh, would you have left the Cologne match early, Matt? Uh, <laughs> you bet I would have. <laughs> as soon as that 4-0 went in, I would have been, you know, on my way back to... Uh, <laughs> home or uh, the uh, at least a bar to to drown my sorrows after this trash display what can i say how to fans eh? <laughs> oh come on I, i've i've actually left a number of uh, of of hair to matches early because they were trash or or because it was just too cold because man uh sometimes in the winter time 
that Olympia Stadion is a terrible place to be, especially for night games. Uh, let's move on to another team who probably has it even worse than than Hertha does. I mean, Christ, it's not even a probably situation. It's definitely, it is uh, S. Valveda Bremen. They were 2-0 losers to uh, Borussia Dortmund this weekend. Um, Bremen, of course, went into this game with a little bit of hope that they could maybe pull off another upset at home to Bayfell Bay. They had done so uh, a couple of weeks ago in the Cup, but that was definitely not on the cards. Uh, Dan Axel Zagadou and the uh, the man-child of the moment in European football, Erling Haaland, pushed uh, Bayfell Bay past Werder to, to, you know, really make things pretty ugly for them. Uh, we did have a listener question from uh, Ralph Kunat. Uh, he simply asked, how doomed are Verder. He seems to think that everyone else is putting up a fight at the moment, but from us, you get nothing. Uh, how, how concerned are you about Verder at the moment, Kit? Yeah, very concerned. I mean, I, you kind of, I, I wouldn't write them off just yet, um, partly because I think just in terms of quality in the squad, they, you know, they, they do have a lot more points in them. Um, and they have had flashes the cup game against Dortmund is the, the biggest example where you think, okay, this this is a team that that can do something and, and can fight uh, if if the circumstances are right. But they haven't managed to bounce from that cup game, which is a, is a big shame because you know you really felt that was a moment where they could start turning things around, and they and they haven't. Um, they also have just gone through a patch where you really feel. It was a chance against uh, a few weaker teams, a few teams who are their directly, uh, or their direct competitors in the in the relegation fight, a chance to pick up points at least to hold those teams to draws, and they've they've picked up defeats instead. The next few weeks, there are some tough opponents. It's certainly not a a, a very easy run of fixtures that they've got ahead of them, and and you don't see much there. Um, on the pitch or off it that that makes you think okay there's a player who is going to come and and pull this team together and, and drag them kicking and screaming out of the bottom three or there's a, a tactical adaptation that, that Florian Kulfer just got up his his sleeve it's either going to be they they start scrapping to results and they they really graft their way out of that situation with kind of sleeves up Kulfer style you know blood sweat and tears or they're just going to keep sinking. Uh, and I hope it's the former. Um, I think it will be tough, though, because if you look at those other teams, pretty much all of them look either reasonably stable or, or like they have, they're potentially going somewhere. I mean, you know, I think Bailatzer is doing a reasonably okay job at Mainz. Cologne, they're a very good team when they play well. Uh, Dusseldorf and Augusta, it's probably still too early to say, but. Yeah, they, they're a good team. We've seen them be a good team over the, over the last couple of years. Union look too far away from the relegation zone at the moment to to really be a candidate that that could change. Um, it's going to be tough for Vader to You can't really see a team dropping down into the relegation zone in their place. Yep, yep. And 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 the fact that there is now uh, a real gap opening up uh, between them in in you know that direct drop area as. And, and Dusseldorf getting that win, uh, which we'll be talking about in just a moment. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot a team that, that's uh, 
close to that hatter are probably the only team. Um, <laughs> two, come on, come on. I know, and Werder have them on match day twenty-five. <laughs> at least, at least it's in Berlin where we have an absolutely impregnable record at the Olympiastadion. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, we've got it. That's that's the game. No, don't worry about it, Ralph. That's the game that, that Werder are going to turn their season around. You're fine. Yep. Yep. Another. It's it's going to be a, a five-nil special for uh for Werder. Um. Okay. Real quick. Uh, on the other side of things, uh, this is a, a listener question from uh, longtime listener Brooke in Ethiopia. Um, how are you feeling now about about Dortmund and their uh, title chances? I mean, certainly they have probably bought um, better than anybody in the winter with uh, Holland and uh, Emre John. Yeah, I mean Holland in particular is is uh, a gloriously kind of cynical buy in some ways it's, it's it, you just solve so many problems in one fell swoop you know brings a certain kind of bullish no nonsense we're just going to win this game attitude that that Dortmund needed and didn't have he brings uh not just goals but goals when Dortmund are two or two or three up already which kill games off which is something that that they really didn't have and even though their defense is still very ropey and, and still makes has moments where you you really have your heart in your mouth and you think oh my god what are you doing here it kind of doesn't matter as much when when holland's at the other end because you know you know you think last year when he, when they were 3-0 up you thought mm, well okay they're 3-0 up against freiburg in the 78th minute but this game could still end 3-3 uh, whereas this that yeah, you just think, or in the last few weeks, you just think, well, this is going to be four or five nil because Holland's still going to keep bashing them in for the last 12 minutes. And that, that is a, a, a massive difference for, for Favre's side. Um, it was one of their big, big problems in the, in the decisive phase of the season last year. So yeah, I mean, having before the winter break and before the January transfer window, I would have said they're probably going to drop off the pace and, and, not be there in the in the last six weeks of the season. Now I think they've got a, a serious chance. I think a lot will depend on how Bayern uh, how Bayern's form develops over the the next few months. But both them and Leipzig are not to be written off by any stretch of the imagination. For sure, for sure. And it, I think it is still interesting that um, all three of our you know trio of of sort of strongest title candidates in the Bundesliga have Champions League um, exertions to to contend with. I think. Um, there's all kinds of interesting monkey wrenches that could be thrown into uh, any one of those three teams' uh, title push by by what happens to them in, in that competition. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, that, that the aforementioned Dusseldorf 2-0 win over uh, Freiburg. Uh, this was a huge, huge win for Dusseldorf. It, it puts some daylight between themselves and the, the automatic regulation, uh, the automatic, ugh, put some daylight between them and the automatic relegation places. Uh Real battling win, capped off by, you know, kind of a, a real life comic book hero of a goal by Eric Tommy. He just, you know, picks up the ball with three quarters of the pitch to go and just runs it down to the other end to make it two nil and and sort of seal that result. I mean, are you buying into the idea that there might be some signs of life from Dusseldorf? I mean, they they do have two points to make up from. Mites who are just above them in the table, six points back of Hertha, Cologne, and you know, of course, perhaps Union if they don't get a result on Monday. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely reason to hope if you're just a sort of fan. Uh, you know, they've 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 picked up results against 
teams that they need to pick up results going to have a few times this season. I mean, the Union game just before uh, Christmas is a good example. They could have lost that game. They It wasn't an undeserved win, but they could have lost it. They could have drawn it. Uh, the ground out result again with Tommy uh, scoring a key goal, as I remember. They have that that potential to to fight, and they have that potential to, you know, and, well, they have enough flair as well, I think, to attack teams and, and win games if they, you know, get get a bit of a chance to do so, as Union gave them in that game. Um, Ressler tends to start well uh, when he takes over a new club. Um, he tends to kind of have a really, really good first year or, or six months. Um, and I think that's perhaps what we're going to see over the next six months, whether that develops into into you know, a really good two years or three years as it has been at some of his clubs and, and not at others. We'll see. Um, with Lutz van Steel going, there's a, there's a bit of kind of background noise, which, which might be cause for concern. Yeah, let's, let's get into that for a moment. I, I was very, very surprised by that. Lutz van Steel was brought in from Hoffenheim where he was sort of a junior sporting director type and has came in with a lot of ambition to turn um, Fortuna Dusseldorf into more of a, a regular, you know, top flight team who, you know, makes some shrewd moves, bringing in some, you know, lone players from the Premier League in Spain and so forth. And he just said, I want out this week, which kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, I, I can't say I know uh, any of the, the details or the reasons for it, but it's, it's along with, that kind of strange saga last season where they, they sacked Funkel and then didn't sack him. And, uh, and along with the slightly clumsy, uh, way in which they, they finally did get rid of him a, a few weeks ago where they, you know, he was crowned, uh, was it best, best, this is all best coach or something. And one day, and then he was sacked the next. And it was, it, it, you kind of get the feeling that, that there's always been around financial, a kind of slight, it's hard to, just a sort of incongruity there or just something where he seems slightly kind of a, at odds or not quite completely au fait with, with the way the club works or other parts of the club or, you know, the fans or whoever it is. And, and, and maybe he's, he's made his decision based on that. I mean, as I say, I don't, I don't know enough about the inner workings of that club to, to really form a, a strong opinion, but yeah, it's it's the sort of thing. And again, they are they're a big enough club that those kind of backroom problems, if they're there, they can blow up pretty quickly, or they can fester away and and become a problem. And I, I think wrestler, although he's a very good coach, partly because he has very little Bundesliga experience, and partly because I think he's also a limited coach in some ways, he won't necessarily. Uh, be able to completely ride that storm. Uh, I think he needs a positive atmosphere around the around the club if he's going to do well there and, and keep them away from the drop. And so it'll be interesting to see how that situation develops, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This has uh, certainly been a, a season to forget thus far for Dusseldorf. But, man, there's a lot of bad teams hanging around at the bottom, as, as, as happens in the Bundesliga or any, any league, really. So they're, they're, there's still a chance for them to wriggle their way out of this trouble. Um, looking at the other uh, end of the table, or, or closer to it anyway, uh, we did have a listener question from John in Chicago asking, can uh, Freiburg 
turn it around and get back to a European spot. I mean, I kind of mentioned them in the context of, of Schalke and the teams who were sort of uh, trying to creep up on Schalke at the moment. I mean, Freiburg, form-wise, things are not looking up. But, man, that group there uh, of Schalke, Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Freiburg, and, uh, you know, you could even maybe put in uh, Frankfurt into that that group. Um <laughs> These are all just teams who have struggled for consistency all season. I'm not convinced that they can do it. But then again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wouldn't be too surprised by any of those, those you know, four or five teams being in sixth place come the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, they all, they all have the potential to. Uh, I think they all have the, you know, either uh, the squad or the kind of stability that, that say, Freiburg and Frankfurt have to... to Make a charge if other teams are weak, but I agree with you. I mean, they're, they've all been so inconsistent and and at times all so poor uh, in specific games that you kind of can't really see them uh, getting back certainly into that top four fight, and and probably not either into that top six fight. I mean, it will depend how Schalke do, and if they start crashing and burning, then any of those teams down to Frankfurt have got a chance. But yeah, yeah. I wouldn't kind of put all my money on any given one of them, to be honest. That's probably wise. Yeah, kid. thanks. I don't have that much money, to be honest, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I still wouldn't put all of it off and on. All right. Nose to the grindstone, then. Uh, let, let's take a quick break, uh, take our, our noses off the grindstone, and then let's, uh, let's come back and finish up talking about Match Day 23 and such. All right, here is part two of Talking Foosball. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Herman. I'm here with Kit Holden of uh, Agence France Press, among other publications. We're talking about the rest of Match Day 23. We might uh, dip our, our toes into, you know, maybe a, a couple of, of European concerns along the way. I wanted to start things off with a real wild one uh, on Friday night. Uh, Bayern getting a 3-2 win over Paderborn. You know, this one had end-to-end play. It had, had goalkeeping slip-ups. It had goalkeeping heroics. Seesaw scoring and an all-but-inevitable outcome of a win for the mighty Bayern through None other than Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, this this was a really feisty performance from Paderborn, and one that I think has been typical of them. They you know they like to push good teams to the limit, but then just fall just short. Um, how much confidence are they able to really draw from these kinds of games? When basically Bayern, a team who loves to to keep the ball, who loves to push forward, is kind of tailor made for for. Paderborn leaving lots of space for them to run into, and they made good use of that. Are they going to be able to get the results they need against other teams at the bottom to to sort of make the great escape, or are you thinking that it's just going to be one of those romantic, valiant efforts that ends in nothing? Sadly, I think it's it's going to be the latter. I mean, I, I think they're a fantastic team, uh, and not just because because Stefan Baumgart has has history or Union, uh, but just generally they're they're a really really fun team to watch. They were last season as well. Um, but I think, yeah, what you've just described is, is will be their downfall. They, they look their best when they come up against the best opponents because they get more space to, to run into. And, and that, that was really good for them in the second division because there were weak enough teams to kind of pick off in the, in the lower half of the division. And then against the top teams, they could pick up big results, but in, in the Bundesliga, it doesn't quite work because the teams that are around them 
they don't necessarily pick up the results against um, because they don't have as much space. And then when they play brilliantly against Dortmund or Bayern or whoever it is, you know, they may look fantastic and, and everyone might feel great at the end of the day and, and give themselves a pat on the back, but they still come away with no points because those teams are, you know, just slightly too good for them. So it's it's a real shame because certainly when you compare them to some of the other teams in the in the division at the moment, they're a much more enjoyable team to watch and and much more likable. But um, yeah, I can't see them staying up really. Yep, yep. I want them to prove me wrong desperately, but um, I'm afraid that is going to be their fate. Bayern Munich, they were almost bit in the ass by some uh, some squad rotation uh, decisions. I don't want to blame it on these guys, but you know they there was quite a few players who had not either um, who had not started at all for them, such as Alvaro Odriozola, uh, or guys who hadn't started in quite some time, like Corentin uh, Tolisso. I guess he he hadn't started since match day 14. Luca Hernandez hadn't started since match day 8. You know, fully fit, ready to go. Fine. But, you know, maybe was this sort of maybe a little bit too much looking ahead to, to the Champions League, thinking, hey, the, the worst team in the league is coming to play us at our house. We can just sort of sneak this one. Um, possibly, but I mean, I think, I think, you know, Hernandez has to have game time, um, because he's been out for so long and, and it's a good opportunity to, to give him some similar argument with Odrizola where, you know, he's new, can't just keep him on the bench for half his season and and expect him to just fit perfectly at some point into the, the system. So I think it was a, yeah, a good opportunity I mean, they rode their luck, but but well used ultimately to, yeah, rotate a bit and give a few other players a a bit of game time and to rest a few other guys ahead of Chelsea as well. Um, it showed how important Lewandowski is for them, uh, and that will again, particularly in the Champions League, be the decisive factor uh, in in how their season progresses and whether they can get past firstly Chelsea and then if they get past Chelsea. Uh, other clubs into the semi-finals or the final again if Lewandowski scores in those big games as he hasn't done in past years um, then they've got a good chance of, of going very far in the Champions League if he doesn't you can see them getting knocked out by anyone really um, so yeah I mean it's it's one of those games where yeah they rode their luck but I think there was a, a good argument to to bring those players in and it showed Bayern's strengths and weaknesses in some ways because, yeah, they're not a they're not a, a kind of unbeatable perfect team as they have been under, under Guardiola or, or Heinkes in the past, but they can still, you know, pick up those results and and pick up those late winners uh, in those kind of games, which is what they're expected to do. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, we did have uh, Robert Lewandowski quoted earlier this week, uh, sort of heading into this Champions League tie. Uh, I guess they're, they're, they're away uh, at Stamford Bridge uh, on Tuesday. Uh, two weeks, hence, they'll, they'll be back home, hopefully looking to, to seal a win in that one. Um, he was quoted as saying that he believes that Bayern are going to win the Champions League this season. Um, you know, we all know that, that the Champions League, it's a knockout competition at this stage. It's there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of good teams in there. But are you convinced that there's a good chance that it could happen? I, I know that you kind of uh, addressed this by saying that this, this is a, a team that on its day can beat anybody. But 
doesn't always have its day. I mean, how do you like the, their chances going into this, uh, you know, first knockout match? I think they are like, uh, light favorites, um, against Chelsea. I don't think it's a, it's a very, very clear situation of, of one team being significantly better than the other, but I do think Bayern probably are the better team. And I think, as I said, I think Lewandowski's goals will be the difference. If he's confident of winning the Champions League because he thinks he's going to score four goals in every tie between now and the final, then I'm with him. I think they, they certainly could get to the final and, and win it. But if he doesn't, uh, I think every team is a danger for them. Um, and Chelsea are in you know, a, a bit of a bounce at the moment. They got a good result the weekend. Uh, they'll be feeling good going into the, this first leg. Bayern, as they did in 2012, in that kind of traumatic experience, have, have more to lose than Chelsea do. Um, so I think it's, it's a definite banana skin. But I also think the stability they have under Flick and the, the kind of confidence they have... Um, under him means that, that they are definitely capable of, of getting through this round and and even further. I mean, a lot will depend on the draw. And I think all teams really uh, are quite volatile in the Champions League at the moment. Even Liverpool, who are the only team in Europe who are really, you know, really look pretty much close to perfect at the moment. Uh, even they have, you know, are on the brink of being knocked out at the moment after that, that result against Atletico last weekend. So I don't think there's any team who you look at and you think they're they're definitely going to storm to the, the Champions League title. Um, and Bayern could be any any of them on their day, could lose to any of them on their day, with the possible exception of Atalanta and Valencia. Mm-hmm. Now, last week was obviously really a successful week for the Bundesliga in Europe. Um, you know, we had, uh, what, five teams in action. Everybody won. Uh, and truthfully, this entire season, I mean, uh, you could make the argument that uh, having a team drop down from the Champions League to the uh, Europa League is not, you know, 100% success. But, you know, there's still a lot of teams alive in Europe. Only one team has, has been, you know, finally eliminated. We'll be talking about them in a moment. But do you think that the the relative success thus far – or, or even that just the, the momentary success we saw last week is indicative of um, you know generally better times in the Bundesliga than we've seen over the last few years. Well, I think you've got a, a few teams that are uh, maturing uh, at the same time. I'm not necessarily sure that that has to do with with any major kind of structural development. Um, I think in many ways it's just a coincidence that you know Bayern are always up there, Dortmund. With Haaland, have have got that kind of confidence and and firepower to to knock over a team like PSG, which they perhaps didn't have in the last couple of years. Um, and Leipzig, as we discussed, are beginning to grow, and as is Nagelsmann, beginning to grow into into Champions League football and and how to deal with it. And they're hitting form at the right time. I mean, that's been part of the problem. If you think about Dortmund last season the knockout stages just came at the wrong time of the season for them in many ways, you know. Um, and Frankfurt have got the confidence of the of, of their Europa League and Cup success over the last few years. So I think it's just a case of a lot of teams who, yeah, are kind of hitting form and hitting a hitting a, a peak of, of experience and squad building and a lot of different factors at, at the same time. And that's, that's good. I mean, I'm always kind of wary and I'm, 
the other the other way around as well of whenever Bundesliga teams do badly in Europe, everyone's saying, "Oh, it's a crisis," and it's 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 a sign that the weak the league is terribly weak, and and stru- there's massive structural changes that need to be addressed. And I I tend to think that, that is overblown. So that means that means we can't say it's a new dawn in in the Bundesliga right now. No, I mean it, it, all, all those clubs are. I mean, the, that's the thing about European football is that the, the relationships are pretty established and have been for for fifteen to twenty years. I mean, all the clubs that that are in it, with a couple of exceptions, have generally been in it or around it uh, at their current level, uh, with a few anomalous seasons every year for the last year. It means that the competition itself is exciting. It's bad for for domestic football across the continent, but it. it you know, I, I, there aren't really, there hasn't really been a major structural change uh, in, yeah, the last two decades in, in terms of the relationships between the leagues. It's just about how different clubs are developing at, at different times. And yeah, this this could be a, a good couple of years for for German clubs because, as in 2012 and 2013, a few of them are, are in a really good place in their kind of midterm development. Yep, for sure, for sure. And you got guys like uh, Julian Nagelsmann and Marco Rosa, who may well be some of the bigger coaches in Europe uh, in the years to come, sort of putting things together at the Bundesliga level right now. Which you know, I think I think Klopp's example from that that year in uh, when he he made it all the way to the Champions League with Dortmund is is somewhat analogous. I mean, we we may well have some some. Uh, some teams ready to make some noise, at least in the short term. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and, and I don't want to <laughs> speak out of turn by mentioning Marco Rosa, because, of course, his team was the only one uh, to to drop out of Europe this season. They were Gladbach were, of course, shocked late by Basak Shahir at the end of their group stage campaign, and and you know, despite some some highlights from that uh, from that uh, group stage, um, they they didn't advance. Um, they probably missed a big opportunity in the Bundesliga this past weekend. Um, they played Hoffenheim up against the wall for long stretches of, of, of that game. But, you know, a combination of some, some some wayward play in front of goal and some heroics from Oliver Baumann meant that uh, Hoffenheim were able to get that late equalizer from uh, Lucas Ribeiro, his, his, his debut for the Hoff, uh, getting a goal. Um, it seems to me that, that not only was this a missed opportunity from the way that that game went, but, man... If Gladbach have one argument going for them in the title race, it's that they don't have to play in Europe. And then they go and, and, and do this. Uh, it, it, from, listener question from, from Dan Padgett in, in Portland. Um, does this result take Gladbach out of the title race? Is it, is it, can we call this? Um, I, I wouldn't say that just yet, just because I think all those top three teams have a, a bad run of three or four games in them and that could let Gladbach back in. But it would take, yeah, a, a slip from all of them at, at some point between now and then and and a certain level of consistency from Gladbach, which I don't necessarily see as, as uh, a given either. Um, it, it's it's going to be a, a long-term project with Rosa and it's, it's still looking like a good one, I think. Um, all the pieces are kind of... In place, they just need that that kind of time to develop. Uh, and I think, despite the kind of high flying period at the start of the season or in the first half of the season, it perhaps would have been too much to expect at that particular club. Uh, Rose has just come in and, and lead a, a title charge for the whole of the season. That was always kind of going to be on the table that they would drop off at some point. Um, 
but I think they they should be pretty pretty sure of top four. That said, we said that last year under Hecking, and it got pretty ropey towards the end of the season. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm confident that that they'll make top four and that they could, you know, if a few of those teams start having a crisis because they've got you know troubles with playing in the Champions League midweek, etc. Then yeah, that could play in their favour. Although I would say a couple of those teams are out of the cup, so you know that that element of the double or triple belastung is 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 not there. So yeah, I I, I can't see Gladbach winning it. No. Okay. Well, sorry, Gladbach fans. A couple of more results just to to go over quite briefly from Sunday. Uh, Leverkusen getting a two nil win over Augsburg. Um, pretty 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 workmanlike stuff. Um, Musa Diaby and Nadim Amiri uh, getting on the score sheet. Uh, they of course have have European play to to consider uh, later in the week. They have a, a slim advantage over Porto. Um, you know, good luck to them on Thursday and all that. Uh, as do Wolfsburg, who picked up a 4-0 win uh, against Mainz. That was another <laughs> another bad result for Mainz in their, you know, generally awesome uh, carnivals or, or what do they call that? Uh, Fasnach? Uh, uniforms. I, I don't know what the regional variation of, uh, you know, Carnival, Fasnach, Fasching, whatever in, in Mainz is, but I'm always a big fan of those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think they're terrible. I think they're, they're an absolute disgrace on many levels, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to anger a lot of people <laughs> by, by going into that. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but I basically, before we wrap the show up, I, I do want to get your, um, your outlook on Union heading into this game against Frankfurt on Monday night, this sort of, um, you know, exceptional circumstance. Uh, I'm assuming that you're not making the trip to Frankfurt for this one. I know you're, you're, you're a big home fan and an occasional away fan. What's your outlook? Um, I'm not making the trip. Uh, and the outlook is positive after, after last weekend's performance. I mean, that was a pretty incredible afternoon, even though, you know, it was a late winner for Leverkusen and an ultimately disappointing result that could have been avoided. But an amazing afternoon from the in the sense that so far, both in the second division and and in the Bundesliga, Union under Urs Fischer have been uh, a very very successful team uh, and a an efficient team a lot of the time, but not always a particularly enjoyable team to watch in terms of the, the football they play. And I actually took a guest. Who were visiting from from the UK to to Union, uh, this week, family members, and, and warned them that the the kind of spectacle of football they were about to behold would not necessarily be the highest kind of quality of, of attacking flair. And, and then uh, they just they let you down by playing exactly, so well <laughs> they, by playing such beautiful football and and really not only taking the games to Leverkusen but just out playing them as well at times now going them. I mean, you know, Leverkusen in the end, Savier and and. Yeah, the cleverer team took their chances, but three pretty kind of scrappy goals to them, two brilliant goals from Neon and a lot of other chances for them. Um, and that's a real development. That's a really, you know, that's that's a kind of next step or at least a, a sign that they're in are about to take the next step. And I think, you know, staying up obviously remains the the thing everyone's talking about and the, the aim for this season, but it is a, a very good sign for the midterm that, that they're not just kind of staying as a team who, who grind out results and, and frustrate teams that they are kind of adding other other strings to their bow as it were. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish you well 
on, on Monday. But if you lose, uh, losing eight nil would would be the best uh, result <laughs> because that's how many goals you're ahead of us in the table. <laughs> all right. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. It was really nice to have you back on the podcast and, and just actually really nice to talk with you again, Kit. Yeah, likewise. Always a pleasure. Nice. nice. Uh, you, you can follow this guy on Twitter. Uh, he is uh, at Kit Holden. You can read his work at uh, AFP, among other places. He does keep busy. Uh, if you want to contact me, uh, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there on Twitter. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, uh, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever. It's, it's a big help. Do leave some rating. Tell your friends. Uh, Talking Football Fantasy with JT and Flo, they are actually back in action uh, later this week uh, with with uh, probably a big one uh, considering they have you know by that time they will have weathered the remainder of the carnival uh, storm and, and they'll be really just talking to microphones bis zum nächsten mal y'all